It's my great honor this morning to uh, introduce our guest speaker, Kate Archer-Kent. Kate moved to the South from Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, in 2002, served as the marketing director at Louisiana Tech before coming to Shreveport um, to save us <laughs> on Red River Radio where she has been a news anchor and, and news gatherer pretty much for a decade or close to it, somewhere around there. Kate has four kids. Bronwyn, who is with her today, is five, and then there's Oliver, who's three, and she has twin boys that are nine months old and still does all of this other stuff. Teaching yoga at the Hindu temple, uh, vinyasa, flow yoga that's open to the public for free. Um, she's just a breath of fresh air in Shreveport and we get to appreciate that over the airwaves often. So would you please help me welcome Kate Archer-Kent. Wow, it's Sunday, a new week, a new month. Let's wipe this slate clean. Uh, three straight days of school and daycare closures last week meant my husband Alex and I did the do-si-do with our work schedules. I know we're not alone in feeling so much tension as a couple where both parents work outside the home. We try to give each other a fair shot at delivering some productive, uninterrupted work hours to our employers. Meanwhile, all four kids conveniently rotated through the stomach flu. They watched the snow fall while sitting in their bean bags on the living room floor. They were blobs in a sea of toys and unfinished craft projects that weren't, get, that weren't getting put away. Their newly discovered pal, SpongeBob SquarePants, was jabbering away on an unending loop of episodes. I felt guilty that I was nagging them to clean up. The TV was babysitting. Then there was the moment I set the twins in their cribs while I stole away to my closet to do a four-minute interview with someone over the phone. Researchers have proof that multitasking is not productive, but without it, I'm afraid I wouldn't have a prayer in getting through the day. We'd run out of toilet paper. The kids would eat cereal for dinner again. I multitask from the moment my day begins at 4.03 a.m. I feel like I ping-pong between work and family 24-7. Alex sent a text to my neighbor friend who loves to drop by with servings of Indian dishes like Dahl. Stay away. Our house is contaminated. You will get sick. We gave each other high fives as we squeegeed up three-year-old Oliver's barf. We were so pleased to clean up the hardwood floors we had installed two days before the twins were born last spring. We figured those floors just saved us two grand because Oliver's stomach bug would have forced us to pull up the carpet. I am honored to be here for Women's Week. Frankly, I had no idea it was Women's Week. The insights and experiences in my life pale in comparison to the pioneer women who have come before me. So I dedicate this talk to my maternal grandmother, Matilda Wheeland, who would be 103 today. 
A German immigrant, she toiled on the Great Plains of North Dakota, giving birth to 13 children on the farm that is still in production today. She lost her husband in a farm accident when her oldest was 26 and her youngest was five. As women's roles were in the day, at the death of my grandfather, she had to learn how to drive. She had to learn how to balance a checkbook and how to be a shrewd businesswoman. Running a farm, a family farm is after all a business. Her chores at home never stopped, even though she had to take on farming duties and make sure the combine and the tractors were in working order for the men to take in the crops. Her days were regimented. Monday was for washing, Tuesday was for ironing, Wednesday was for darning, Thursday was for bank baking, Friday was for cleaning, Saturday was for taking baths and cleaning up the kids for Sunday church. Sunday was a day of rest. She washed the kitchen floor every day on her knees. I like to do it that way too and I think of her. One year in a blinding snowstorm, she tied a rope from the farmhouse to the barn so she wouldn't lose her way in the whiteout conditions when she went to feed the animals. My mother, Rose, a retired high school teacher, attended a one-room schoolhouse. If you think my relatives came from the little house on the prairie, you're not too far off. My grandmother had no idea she would have twins. That is, until she delivered my uncles, Herman and Roman, who have both since passed away. I learned I would have twin boys at the very first OB appointment. Two blurry dots on the ultrasound screen, 100% conclusive. When I think about the luxuries I have in my life, drive through pharmacy, ready-made meals, childcare, and a modern home with programmable washer and dryer and dishwasher, I stop myself and remember that I have advantages. My hands are not calloused. There are women who have come before me and who toil today all over the world, who are much stronger than I could ever be. To me, Women's Week is about them. I wish I could ask my grandmother when she, what she did when she felt overwhelmed. The journalist in me would love to land that sit-down interview. Did you cry? Were you afraid of running out of money? Did you fight with my grandfather? He wasn't expected to wash clothes by hand or feed all the hungry mouths every meal, every day, no relief. While women's lives have changed over the centuries, there are challenges today that are real and valid. Women are in a predicament. But really, it's families in America that are in a state of flux. Demands on them are crushing, and American families are running in crisis mode. We have among the highest percentage of working mothers of any country in the workforce, but the number of women, but the number of mothers in the workforce has dipped. This despite increasing number of women graduating from college, getting masters and doctoral degrees, social scientists don't really know what to make of it. They're calling it a stalled gender revolution. I think it's American companies that are putting women in park. American firms are notorious for having the most family-unfriendly policies of the developed world. Promotions go to employees who emulate the ideal worker, who can be the first in the door and the last to leave. The U.S. is the only first world economy that doesn't guarantee workers paid time off. Bridget Schulte writes in her book, Overwhelmed, that what's really happening is that work hours and leisure time in America are dividing. If you have an education and a high-paying career, 
Chances are you're working at an insanely high number of hours and have little leisure time. Nearly 40% of American men and 20% of American women with college degrees report putting in more than 50 hours a week on the job. And an astounding 32% of professional single mothers. Sheryl Sandberg, Facebook's chief operating officer, told us all to lean in to our careers in her 2013 book by the same name. She did this while saying she heads home every night at 5.30 for dinner with her family. People cheered and booed. Forbes estimates her current net worth is over $1 billion. I say, look, Cheryl, women have been leaning in for centuries, but the circumstances women face are all so different. The playing field is vastly different for someone like you than it is for a mother in Faraday, Louisiana, who earns $7.25 an hour at Family Dollar, has a nine-year-old son, and no spouse. Not every woman has the luxury like you to lean in. Every resource is at your disposal. Anne-Marie Slaughter, the president of the New America Foundation, wrote a mind-blowing article in The Atlantic a couple years ago titled, Why Women Can't Have It All, meaning a rich, fruitful career and a happy family life. When it came out, I read this article over and over. She concluded, unless you make it possible for women to balance work and family with novel, family-friendly workplace policies, with leadership that embraces and practices these policies, you're going to lose a huge chunk of talent, and that's not smart for business nor society. There's a growing body of research on time and how we spend it how women in particular spend it. It's finding that women are living very fragmented lives. They can't focus on one thing. There is a never-ending to-do list with work and family obligations, from buying diapers to caring for elderly parents. It's falling on the backs of women while she still works full-time at marginal pay to a man. To me, the bright spot is that these time research studies have found working moms like me today spend as much time caring for their children as stay-at-home mothers did in the 1960s when those mothers were called professional homemakers. Even with a fabulous equal partner, it's not enough. We need work environments that encourage time shifting, as researchers call it, allowing women and men an ability to adjust their work schedules in a day so they can be at their child's soccer game, but still have a report done on time. I visited with my cousin Heather about work-life balance. She's an executive at Amazon. She runs the Amazon Mom division and has two young boys. She said she outsources every detail in her life if it means she can spend a few more minutes of quality time with her kids. For both pregnancies, she took Amazon's full paid maternity leave five months by U.S. standards, almost unheard of. When she returned after her second baby, she moved to a new job at Amazon and was promoted. This is a rarity. More often you hear of it, the discrimination lawsuits. My cousin Mark complained about growing bored when he was on Microsoft's three-month paternity leave for the birth of his daughter. I was furious with him. Those three months afforded his family time to travel to Malaysia, where his wife's family could meet the new baby. Many husbands get a few days, a week or two, if they're lucky enough to have the paid time off at all. We wonder how we could make our community more attractive 
to stand out, to make it the next great city of the South? Simple. We enact bold policies that would encourage businesses here to make worker environments less toxic and more family-oriented. We grow a family-friendly economy. With Capitol Hill's divisive, hostile climate now, I doubt we'll see comprehensive reform in universal childcare, mandatory paid leave, or any other policies that would give women and families some breathing room. It's going to take small, incremental steps. I tell myself all the time, just inch it. I think my grandmother's rope between the farmhouse and the barn is a perfect metaphor for where women are today. There are issues raging all around her, wage discrimination, childcare, part-time versus full-time work, unequal division of housework with her spouse. But if she can just keep her hands on the rope and inch it, maybe we as a country will reach the barn one day where our American companies can give women trust, respect, and the corner office, even if they are doing the corner office work while nursing their infant in a living room with toys strewn about. Quality work can be done this way. Our world is entirely connected through technology. Use it wisely and reap the rewards. When my grandmother passed away from breast cancer that had metastasized to her bones, I could not attend her funeral. I was in Washington on an unpaid internship at ABC News Nightline. It was the summer of 1995, and I was shadowing a correspondent named Cokie Roberts as she investigated Dow Corning and its silicone gel breast implants. Women were getting sick, and they were suing big time. It became the largest class action lawsuit in history, bankrupting Dow Corning until the early 2000s. Cokie Roberts, our daughter of Louisiana, who has made us all so proud, could not get to the truth in the matter. I don't think women have all the answers. I, I don't think men do either. But it is time the US is serious about bringing changes that will help families live better lives. They're working hard. They're working overtime to stay afloat. True, we have first world problems. We don't live in conflict, war-torn cities. We have the luxury to design first world solutions that will make this country a better place. And it will impact the world. When I have a free moment to myself, I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. But I try to quiet the to-do list chatter in my head by thinking of a few lines in this poem. A friend of mine, she sent it to me not long after my 12 weeks were up with the twins and I had headed back to work with four kids under age five. I taped it to the side of my computer. Advice to Myself by Louise Erdrich. I'll read it to you and end this way. Leave the dishes, let the celery rot in the bottom drawer of the refrigerator and an earthen scum harden on the kitchen floor. Leave the black crumbs in the bottom of the toaster. Throw the cracked bowl out and don't patch the cup. Don't patch anything, don't mend, buy safety pins. Don't even sew on a button. Let the wind have its way, then the earth that invades as dust, and then the dead foaming up in gray rolls underneath the couch. Talk to them. Tell them they are welcome. Don't keep all the pieces of the puzzles or the doll's tiny shoes and pairs. Don't worry who uses whose toothbrush or if anything matches at all. 
except one word to another or a thought. Pursue the authentic. Decide first what is authentic, then go after it with all your heart. Your heart, that place you, need, you don't even think of cleaning out, that closet stuffed with savage mementos, don't sort the paper clips from screws from saved baby teeth or worry if we're all eating cereal for dinner again. Don't answer the telephone, ever, or weep over anything at all that breaks. Pink molds will grow within those sealed cartons in the refrigerator. Accept <laughs> new life forms and talk to the dead who drift in through the screened windows, who collect patiently on the tops of food jars and books. Recycle all the mail. Don't read it. Don't read anything except what destroys the insulation between yourself and your experience, or what pulls down, or what strikes at, or what shatters this ruse you call necessity. Thank you. Thank you.